Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. This broadcast, I'm very happy to introduce Dr. Ash Tawari, Professor and System Chair, Milton and Carol Petrie, Department of Urology, Director of Center of Excellence for Prostate Cancer at the Tisch Cancer Institute at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, New York. Dr. Tawari, we uh, are incredibly grateful for your time and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, your expertise in this area is world-renowned, and uh, we, uh, again, are grateful for having you join us on this. Thanks for having me here, and I'm Ash for you, not Dr. Tiwari. Very good. Um, I think the topic we have today is uh, what's next in robotic prostatectomy. Uh, I chose this topic uh, mainly because of the prominence of this in our field, uh, but I also want to see, you know, kind of what the next direction is, maybe perhaps where you've been and what prompted you to, to move forward with this type of uh, topic and, and where we are today. And I, I guess I just want to start off by asking, uh, you know, what are the trends of numbers of this uh, procedure? Uh, it's one of the most common robotic procedures performed worldwide. But today, currently in 2021, where are we uh, in relation to other procedures such as the cholecystectomy, hysterectomy, hernia? Uh, are we still the front runners in, in this type of technology? And, and where do we sit today? I think from a um, number standpoint, uh, robotic prostatectomy is amongst the top few procedures. And uh, we are dealing with a cancer which only happens in about uh, X number of patients and not everyone needs a procedure. So there is a limit to how many total number of robotic radical prostatectomy can be done worldwide or in United States. And the differential is that we have... Uh, kind of changed the field from an open and laparoscopic to predominantly robotic radical prostatectomy. But there are diseases like hernias and gallbladders and other procedures where, which are very common. So the sheer number, even if a small percentage of them will be done, that number ultimately will go in favor of those procedures than the robotic prostatectomy because this is a disease within finite endpoint, and I would rather have lesser number of people being diagnosed and lesser number of people needing a procedure. So number-wise, the main value here has been how the transition has happened from an open to robotic platform. And actually, the change has happened because of the value which both uh, surgeons hospitals and patients perceived out of this platform. I still remember uh, it was, uh, I think 1999 or something. Uh, and uh, Dr. Menon and I uh, were exploring around with the ESOP and uh, computer motions. And uh, we went to California to try the first cadaveric uh, uh, robotic intuitive radical prostatectomy. And we spent a lot of time trying to do a robotic prostatectomy in a cadaver. And we didn't find the prostate. And later on, we realized that there was a scar and patient already had a prostatectomy. 
So from that point to now, we have come quite far. And as I would say, technology is a means towards an end. I luckily was focusing on a particular disease that is prostate cancer, where a surgeon is judged not just by what he or she takes out, but by what they leave behind. And they are judged in the bedrooms when the erections happen, and they are judged on golf courses when the urine doesn't leak. So it's a very delicate operation, and cancer is never too far from the edge of the prostate where the margin positivity comes. So kind of combining three competing goals in one operation, we needed help, and we needed help in a bloodless field. We got the bloodless field because of intuitive uh, robotic system is in laparoscopic platform, which has some pneumoperitoneum and that avoided some of the bleedings. And then the second part came because of magnification, we started seeing things above and beyond which we were seeing before. And then putting things together was the reconstruction part and intuitive definitely helps, the Da Vinci robot definitely helped in that process. All three things combined that led us to be now the dominant procedural choice among surgeons all across the world. And uh, journey is still going on, is a long way to go. If I have to predict the uh, surgery of next generation will be not about blood and guts, rather it will be about bits and bytes. And the bits and bytes will augment uh, uh, intellectual and uh, vision capabilities of a surgeon so that they can achieve more in their particular operation. In my case, it happens to be a robotic prosthetic. To follow up on that and to continue on that uh, road, you know, my first uh, robotic procedure was in 2003, and it was a pyeloplasty with the old standard. And, you know, just thinking back to, you know, from that to where we are now, I think two of the most prominent technologies we have with the XI are, are Firefly and the newest single port. What's the future of both of those technologies? How are they being used today? And, and what do you think is going to be next with the robotic platform? And what's sort of the next really robotic breakthrough for prostate cancer, you can comment specifically on prostate cancer, and then perhaps uh, any any other applications we have within urology. At least in prostate cancer, the goal has yet not been achieved because patients are still incontinent sometimes. Patients are still not always getting erections back, and patients still are getting a positive margin. These three things have become much less, but didn't disappear. So problem is not over. And this will happen because of technology integration, which could be a robotic platform, which allows us to predict extracapsular extension will be the key. And the extracapsular extension prediction will happen because of high definition images. And maybe robotic platform will become really high definition that it sees few millimeters below, below the surface. There you go, you can see the extracapsular extension and you can modify the operation right then and there or it'll become something like a firefly, but firefly doesn't show only endocyanin green or some other substance, but there could be a PSMA or a molecular marker dispersed on the surface and the areas which are problematic starts glowing. And it's like you give a soldier in the battlefield, the night goggles, the infrared goggles, and they can see where the enemy is. Same way, surgeons can change the field a little bit filter a little bit, and they start seeing the molecular aspect, not just the visual bumps and lumps, 
because this disease could be a microscopic. That will happen, and I'm sure it's going to happen. Third thing which will happen is uh, ability to see within the prostate a few millimeters below. And there are technologies now available in which a high-intensity laser could be incorporated onto a robotic platform, and which will give me sub-surface imaging so that you can have an in vivo pathology estimation right then and there. Then patients are getting an MRI, patients are getting high-definition imaging, and those imaging algorithms could be incorporated onto a uh, console so that when you are seeing a prostate, you're seeing the right side, you're seeing the base, you're also seeing a tumor really not in an awkward way, but in a very real time, just with a flip toggle of a switch and you start modifying the operations there. We are doing those kind of things now, but we are not uh, bringing it back onto the console as seamlessly as it will be happening in near future. We were dealing with a case in which there were multiple, multiple um, uh, adhesions and all those things. And uh, there are cases in which I have gone inside the bladder to finish a robotic radical prostatectomy transvesical. That is a platform where a single port can be very useful. So single port procedures will be done in a very narrow space. And uh, integration of an imaging and integration of an artificial intelligence on the robotic platform, integration of an real-time molecular uh, approaches. You only go after those lymph nodes which are showing up a PSMA rather than um, removing the 35 lymph nodes uh, with the, its associated uh, side effects. Maybe the next stages of uh, the evolution of robotic platform. Being able to collaborate. The 5G is here and uh, uh, you are very good with pyeloplasty. I'm very good with the prostatectomy. And uh, while I'm doing it, I find a patient who needs an X kind of reconstruction of the Anderson Hine, and I have not done that for some time. You can literally in a real time take over and help me. So the coaching can happen in real time from a long distance. There may be a uh, astronaut who is uh, on its way to Mars and develops an appendicitis. And maybe this robotic platform will allow us to finish an appendicitis operation just because we train the rest of the astronauts to connect the robot, that single port, it is done. So that is where the future is heading. So integration of imaging, integration of miniaturization, integration of an artificial intelligence and deep learning algorithms, all that combined into one platform with exciting work, which is going on in the genomic sides and the CRISPR side and the immunotherapy side. I think that will change the field and we need all the help to fight this battle. So that's some of the specifics on the surgery. What about the robotic platform? Is there room to miniaturize this platform? Is it is it ever going to be a benchtop or desktop type of platform where we can just kind of bring a, a suitcase and put it up on the on the table and, and open it up and unwrap the arms? Uh, what's limiting the footprint uh, uh, miniaturization of, of the row? I mean, as you know, I mean, it's a, logistically, it's a very involved procedure. We have the console, we have the robot, we have uh, the tower, we have, you know, so many different things. It's a huge platform. I don't know if there's any way to, what, what do you foresee as the kind of the next footprint of robotic technology? I'm not seeing it, I'm imagining it. So from my imagination standpoint, and it's never a bad idea to imagine it the ultimate. So, so 
there will be a time that surgeon will put on a special gloves. That gloves will have a nano chips impregnated into the gloves itself. And there will be uh, self flying tools which are immersed in an electromagnetic field. So they need, don't need to be connected to something. We will make a one puncture hole in the belly. Nemo will happen. These tools will be put in inside. And of course, we'll have to count them. At the end of it, not does the needle count, but the robot count. And we do that. And a vision will be on in your goggles or it is a hologram. You are immersed in there. You find the best, most comfortable place to sit down or stand, whatever is convenient for you. And you will be seeing it, you will be moving it, and it is gonna happen. Your finger movements, your hand movements, it doesn't need to be sitting bent like you hurting your neck. This all is gonna happen in next 10 years at least. Uh, something of this kind will be there. And I think the technology is evolving very rapidly. We just need to make platforms where surgeons and scientists are on the same discussion platform and it'll happen. You, you really don't need to have in, there will be a backpack in which everything which you need will be there. My, my longevity, I think is 10 years. So hopefully I can see that. <laughs> I mean, in the, we have seen the, how the phones have become smaller and smaller. I mean, the, the, the technology is evolving so rapidly, it doubles every couple of years. Right. The virtual reality technology and the, uh, you know, just the game that just if, if we were to take, you know, half of what entertainment and the gaming side of the house can do for virtual reality and simulation and brought that into medicine with the applications, uh, that would be, I think that would be a, a huge, and they're already doing it. You're right. That, that would be a huge, uh, huge I mean, win. 10 years ago, what we are doing just now was not possible. Right. I mean, we are, we are having a nearly very virtual experience of talking to each other, talking, looking behind your window and talking about the weather. I can smell the flowers. You can, there may be a technology which you can kind of send the, the data, which can, you can do surgery from a remote. And, and I think with the 5Gs and all those things, it's, it's not too far. So on the coattails of that, uh, let me ask you, uh, this is probably the, the, the last uh, question I have for you, I think. Um, you know, we're talking about surgery, we're talking about physical uh, removal and so on. Uh, with all of these discoveries and with the genetic uh, genomic uh, breakthroughs that we're having with uh, chemo and immunotherapy, will this be an absolute operation at some point? And how long will that be? And, and how promising are these discoveries for prostate cancer? I think that's an excellent point. And I, I, about literally 10 years ago, um, there was a meeting in Brussels or Amsterdam. I'm blocking on the name. And the future of robotic technology was the key topic on that. And I visualized that uh, robots will not be same. Even with the CRISPR, do you know there is a person who gets inside the cell and inside the nucleus to do something? and you can train that to a robot. So the immunotherapy, the genomics are having an impact on the diagnostic side. They will have impact on the therapeutic side. But in the near future, what I see is a supplemental side. What by supplemental I mean, when I tackle a Gleason 9 prostate cancer, I am going with the hope, but I am very cautious that this patient's cancer may come back in future. 
And at that time, the only option this patient has is to have uh, what you call a hormones and a radiation in the first round. Why can't we take this tumor, train the patient's own T cells, the NK cells, reinfuse them back into the patient. So while the robot took the mothership out, these stray cells, if they are there, we have trained against those stray cells and body's own immune system, and we reinfuse them back. And these cells are circulating in the body and they are tracking. So the cancer cells are running and then they are being chased by the well-trained, those T and the NK cell. I think it's happening right now. We are working on a couple of clinical trials in which we are injecting the cancer with an immune booster. And 10 weeks later, we are taking the prostate out. And with the hope that what we have done in terms of the boosting has identified the tumor antigens, then these tumor antigens can be tackled by the NK cells or the dendritic cells or the native, native uh, uh, macrophages, and they will fight the battle even after we have done the removal part of it. So I think the first round will be the integration. And every time I have seen a next tipping point happens in the field, it is not just that one becomes obsolete, it becomes integral into the next step. So the next step will be how to combine genomics, how to combine immunotherapy, how to combine robot, how to make it nano robots, all that combined. We will have a nano sensors implanted into the prostate. So the active surveillance will be done not by just us doing a biopsy. We will, the first biopsy, we will implant a nano sensor, which will be taking the pH, taking the PSA, taking the PSMA values and talking to our radar. And then, oh, your um, nano PSA values have gone up. I think it's a time for you to have a second targeted biopsy. That is the field which will evolve. And I think the robotic platform will become integral in that. So we need to learn what is happening in the genomics and the AI and the immunotherapy. But the future looks very promising, if not anything, very exciting. Fantastic. Dr. Tawari, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Again, on behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society and the Journal of Endourology, Dr. Ash Tawari, thank you. And, and we appreciate your time. And uh, we clearly respect your excellence in this field and look forward to many discoveries that you bring forth. Thank you. Bad. This was an amazing session. Not only that, uh, I, I learned a lot just by this interaction. So you have a knack of uh, stimulating people and thinking outside the box. So great, great event. Thank you for thinking about me.
Thank you, Brett.